Welcome to Weekdays with Jesus. We are weak, but He is strong. I'm Kevin Biltman, your host and recovering burnout pastor, who's here to share with you sermons and songs from friends of mine that I hope will be a blessing to you. John David Mole used to be from Texas, and now he's preaching to us from Iowa. Today he's explaining one of the most misunderstood parables, often called the parable of the shrewd manager. Just to give you a heads up, John David's message is largely based on a book called Oikonomics. The name Oikonomics is a combination of two words, a Greek word oikos, which means extended family, and the English word economics. Overall, the theme of the book is that the call of discipleship involves making wise investments in five areas or types of wealth or capital. The book argues that the most important capital is spiritual, followed by relational, then physical, and then intellectual capital, such as our ideas and creativity, and then financial. How we invest those five areas of capital depend on if we are investing in Jesus' priorities or investing in the priorities of the world. His message today has several visuals, so if you want to watch it, check out the link in today's show notes. At the end of this podcast, you will hear a special song written a few months ago at a songwriting retreat in California. In order for us to dig into the parable that we're going to look at, we first have to remember who we are. And if we're going to remember who we are, we have to remember whose we are, right? And in the text here that that was based off of, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Ayla is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. That is who you are. And it's not because you're pretty, and it's not because you do such great stuff, it's not because you're so smart, it's because God loves you. It's not because you have a ton of money or you spend it in the right places, it's because God loves you, because God sent his son to live, to suffer and die, to rise again, and you are his child. And it's an incredible thing, amen? Now, Today we're going to be looking at this parable of the shrewd manager. It's a, it's a parable that we often confuse and mess up because we read it and we go, man, is Jesus telling us to lie and cheat? Is he telling us if I work for a financial institution to just cut people's debt in half so they'll like me? Doesn't it seem like that's what he's saying? See, I don't think we understand it completely because we miss what Jesus is doing in the moment. Jesus is speaking. we got to go back through all this whole section of Luke. Jesus is speaking to a bunch of Pharisees, religious leaders, and a bunch of people who know that they are sinners, all coming together. And Jesus, when he's speaking to these people who knows that they are sinners, he's saying, you are in a better place. You know that you are a sinner. If you know you're a sinner, then you're ready to receive me. But he's talking to the Pharisees who have no clue that they're a sinner. As a matter of fact, they are proclaiming, I am not a sinner. I am great. Look at me. Look how good I am. And Jesus is pointing out their problems. And he does so in this, in this text with this one word that he comes to at the end because he tells them, hey, you're lovers of money. And he says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve 
God and money. Don't you love when you come to church and the text is about money? Don't you love when the pastor is moved to talk about the text that talks about money? I know you're all sitting there right now going, yes, he's going to talk about money. Look, Jesus talked about money. He talked about money a lot. He talked about money. That's the second most thing that he talked about that we have written in God's word is money. The first was the kingdom of God, his love, his grace, his peace. Second was money. Why? Because it's our number one idol. It's the thing we run after time and again. And so today we're going to look at it. But we're not just going to look at money because the parable of the shrewd manager doesn't just talk about money. It talks to us about the capitals, the things that God has given us, the things that God has invested in us that we are called to invest out there. And he's telling the Pharisees, you're out of order. It's one of my worst words. I hate those words. I remember being in junior high and in our junior high in the lunchroom there were vending machines. You know what I'm talking about? And what's the worst thing that you can see when you walk up to a vending machine? Out of order. Have you ever thought about that? Why do they say out of order? And as a kid, I never questioned that once. Out of order. This machine is out of order. What is that saying? Like it should be over here? Like it's in the wrong place in line? right? It's out of order. It's not working the way it's supposed to. And what Jesus is doing, he's looking at the Pharisees and he's saying, you are out of order. Something we don't like hearing. And in our text today, it's going to do that to us. So we had to start with the fact that you are saved by grace. You are a child of God. You stand on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Now let's talk about how we have fallen out of order. Now, uh, I you're going to get one of these. Brent's going to just be passing these down the aisles. Don't be looking at these yet. You're going to look at them at the end, but uh, just take one as it comes to you and put it there with you, and you'll have it in just a little bit. Uh, But we're going to dig into the parable of the shrewd manager, and to help us understand it, we're going to talk about a book that I read called Oikonomics. Say that with me. One, two, three. Oikonomics. Very good. It's written by a guy's name, uh, Mike Breen and Brent Sternke, and it's all about the parable of the shrewd manager, and it's helping us to understand it a little more. They took the word oikos that you've heard me talk a lot about in this church. In the New Testament, everywhere you see the word house, household, family, almost every time it is the word oikos, right? It's talking about the family of God and Then, in the parable of the shrewd manager, it's talking about economics, and they put them together, and we have oikonomics to help us understand what this text is about. And so this text is about talking to us about what God has given to us as his children and what we're to do with them, and it makes a point to us that we are often, like a vending machine, out of order. And if you are out of order, it's awful hard for God to use you for his kingdom in this world. So that's what it's speaking to us about, right? So back here, we see two of the capitals that God has given us, God himself and money. All right. And very clearly, if we look at those two with what he's drawing out and he's saying, you can't worship both me and money. I'm not a both and God. I want you to worship me alone. 
He's saying you can't worship both of these things, but these are both capitals God has given you. He's invested spiritual capital into you, and he's invested financial capital into you. Clearly, when you read this word, which one is more important? Spiritual, thank you. So, the most important capital that God gives us is spiritual capital. That is the thing that we are to invest in the most, invest in. So, we are to invest in God's Word. We're supposed to have a devotional life. We come together to worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We deal with our I-me problem. Because we have a big I-me problem. That's what the Pharisees had. They had a big I-me problem. We deal with this I-me problem all the time. What's an I-me problem? It's when my life is all about what I am going to do to take care of. And that's sin. It's turning in on myself. I do things to take care of me. We have an I-me problem. That's exactly the problem the Pharisees had. That's what Jesus is telling them. He's telling them, you are out of order. You have got the most important capital I give and the least important capital I give confused. And we're going to look through this as we go. God and money. And we're going to talk about what God intends us to do with these things that he gives to us. And then we're going to look at ourselves and say, as his child, where am I out of order? All right? So we're going to look at our text and we're going to find it within this parable, the shrewd manager. Now, we need to understand real quickly that the people in Jesus' time thought differently than we do. And as a matter of fact, people in many Middle Eastern countries think differently than we do today still, right? One of the things that we don't, we see the word shrewd as kind of a bad word, don't we? Do you want to be shrewd? Is that how you want to be defined? Do you want on your tombstone it to say, this guy was shrewd, right? We kind of see that as a negative thing. It's a bad thing shrewd to be shrewd well in the middle east and at this time that was considered to be a good thing you you figured out ways to work in order to do things to to work out to your benefits to be shrewd or to be the benefit of your family your oikos to be shrewd right and so that's where we say is it cheating if you don't get caught right uh there are a lot of vikings fans in here i had one talk to me after worship today and go and, and so you've got to be a little older to catch on to this, going, was Drew Pearson shrewd? There's a few of you laughing. That clearly was not pass interference, by the way. Okay, the, the Hail Mary pass. It comes from the Dallas Cowboys versus the Minnesota Vikings at the end of the game. Uh, Roger Staubach, captain, comeback for America's team, throws this beautiful pass down the sideline, and Drew Pearson catches it, goes in the end zone. Cowboys win, and all these Vikings fans are going, where's the flag? Right? No, Pearson was shrewd. He was smooth as he went. He just shed that guy off a little bit, caught it, and goes in the end zone. Touchdown, victory. Cowboys go on a roll. Vikings again go home. So, shrewd or not shrewd is how you look at it. If the flag would have come out and they said pass interference against Drew Pearson, that's not shrewd, that's bad. Shrewd is using what you got to get where you need to go. All right, That's the way the world looks at it, and that's the way the text is bringing it to us. Now, it's also hyperbole. Jesus, often in his teaching, will use a story that's beyond the norm, that's, that's exaggerated to make his point. 
He is not telling you that if you work for Wells Fargo to start just reducing people's debt so they'll like you more. That's not what he's doing in this text. He is giving us a story to make a bigger point. And what he's giving us the story to do is to tell the Pharisees, you are out of order, repent and come back to me. Know that you need me as your savior. And he's telling you the same thing. And then he's saying, now let's change and be different. So in our text today, he gives us the five capitals. The most important spiritual, the least important financial capital. Is it not important? No, it's just the least important of the things that God invests in us in this world to then invest in other things. So as we go on, it says in the text, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. This text, it's making a cross to us. His shrewdness is talking about his intelligence. He uses his intelligence to get himself ahead. And so one of the capitals that God gives us is intellectual capital. And we are meant to use intellectual capital in this world, not just to make more money for ourselves, but to extend the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. Is that the way we tend to work? No, we tend to use our intellectual capital to get more money for me. I work and use my intellectual capital so that I can have more money and take care of me. That's what we tend to do in this world. And God's saying, you're out of order. That's not what I'm saying. That's not why I give you these things as you go in the world. Intellectual capital is to be used for the more important things as we go. Matter of fact, you're supposed to use your financial capital. One of the things you should do with that is to increase your intelligence. Buy books and read them. Send your kids to college. Send yourself on. Keep learning and growing in this world so that you can be more the child that God is calling us to be. Use your intellect to dig into his word and find out what he's calling you to do in this life. Now we continue on. Back in 16.3, we get another of the capitals. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my, manager, my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. He is talking about the fact that he doesn't have a lot of physical capital. He says, I'm weak in physical capital, so I'm going to use my intellect to save myself as I go forward. Physical capital is really important in this world. God has given you physical capital. I realize that more and more as I get older and older. Stephanie and I were watching a show last night, um, and we were talking about the woman, the main character woman in the show, and we were both looking at her trying to guess how old she was, and both of us came up to about 57 was our guess. But we were saying, but for 57, she's in great shape. Man, she must really take care of herself. She obviously works out. She's tall, she's beautiful, but she's older, right? So I go ahead and look up the actress, and I found out she's 48. <laughs> and I'm 49. She's younger than me. I'm older than she is. I started realizing more and more lately that I'm getting older, right? I look in the mirror every day, and it's wider. And it's, it goes up higher, right? It originally started with just a few little white hairs. Now there's more of them. And this is definitely back further than it used to be, right? There are things going on that aren't right. Getting older. But we have physical capital, and God is calling us to use it in this world. He gives it to us. He tells us to take care of our bodies. Use it. But what do we use it for? For his kingdom. Do we do that? We tend to do it in the opposite, right? 
What do we tend to use our intellectual and physical capital for? To gain more financial capital, right? That's what the world tells us again and again. And God is saying, if you're doing that, you're out of order. Use your financial capital to strengthen yourself and your intelligence. Use your financial capital to take care of your body. Get a gym membership and start working out. Use it. Use the body God has given you. Use it. But what for? Well, let's figure out what these other capitals are for as we go. And by the way, he gives us big things about this, this physical capital too. God's pretty serious about it. Did you know that? When I disciple men, one of the things that we have to spend a lot of time and we go back to over and over and over again is God's idea of what rest is about. See, God cares about you physically. And so he says to you, I want you to rest in this world. Matter of fact, I don't want you to work, rest from work. I want you to work from rest. That's part of his capital in this world when he's talking about physical capital. Plan your rest. Rest in Christ. Rest so that you can live the life that God has called you to live. That is what rest is about. God wants you to do that. If you are extended beyond your means and you are so tired, that's not God's desire for you. He is saying plan your rest. You need to rest. You need to come together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to get together. You need to be cared for. You need to not be an I and me. You need to be a he and we. Look at what Jesus Christ has done for me. So I belong to the family of God and I am in this family. It's not about, this life is not about earning everything we can so that when we're old, we'll have enough money, enough money to, be to take care of ourselves. No, it's about being part of the family of God because when we get old, we take care of each other. Physical capital is something to invest in. Now, there's arguments on this. Which one is more important, intellectual or physical? And actually, I talked to Mike Breen about this, and he goes back and forth, right? Which one's more important? For me, I keep it in that direction because of this. If my physical capital is out of order, my intellectual capital doesn't work very well. Anybody else like that? If I'm not getting enough sleep, I'm not thinking very well. You can tell when I'm not getting enough sleep because my sermon will be terrible. Right? My intellectual capital severely goes down. Right? But we need these things together. Now, in the text, he goes on. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. This is the second most important capital that we have, and it's called relational capital. We are to invest in our brothers and sisters in Christ and other people. We are to take care of them, to form relationships with them. God tells us again and again in his word that we are to invest all these other people, our financial capital, our intellectual capital, our physical capital, into relationships with people, with our family, caring for one another. There is no reason that anyone in this family of God should ever be going hungry. We take care of each other. And we extend beyond that. We look to our neighbors around us and the places that we work and the schools that we go to. And we look beyond that and we say, God, what would you have me do with these gifts that you've given me? I want you to care for people, he says, because I care about people. When he's looking at the Pharisees and the sinners, he looks at these Pharisees and goes, you aren't caring for the sinners. Love them. Serve them. That's what he's trying to get across to him. You are out of order, my friends. 
Relational is huge. I talked to you a few weeks ago about relational priority. That's taking that one section of, of relational priority and it's of, of relational capital and it's laying it out for you in order. We are called to invest in God. That's the most important relationship we have. If you're married, your spouse comes next. If you've got kids, they come after that. Did you hear that, by the way? Kids come third. That includes grandchildren. I'm starting to think that maybe our parents don't have this as bad as our grandchildren. I've talked to a lot of grandparents, and a grandparent will tell me right away, the most important relationship I have in my life is my grandkids, right? Well, we're giving them an inflated sense of themselves, right, by saying, you're the most important thing in the world. No, they're not. God is. That's what you invest your time and your life in. And then you put your spouse second. Your kids come third. And the greatest gift that you can give to your kids is to put God and your spouse before them. Because you will be a better parent. And they will see what marriage is supposed to look like. Persons of peace come after that. Your church family and extended family, they come way after that. We are called relationally to invest in these things and care about these things in this order, and it makes a difference. And we get this out of order over and over again. What does it look like if you take the smaller, not foundation piece and put it at the bottom? If you take your grandchildren and children and make them the most important thing, then you are balanced on something that's not right. Well, we do worse than that, right? We take relational priority, and if we're going to be honest with ourselves, if we're going to ask people, if we're going to ask somebody from 200 years ago to follow us around for a week and then tell us what's your most important relationship in the world I think about 85 no 90 no 99% of us that person would say I don't know what this is but this is their most important relationship this thing because they spend more time with this than anything else I've seen I've got a bad habit with this thing lately. I noticed yesterday I was watching Texas Tech play now they were losing so it was easier for me to do this but I had to have this in my hand. I had it over here. I kept grabbing it and having to look at it. Why do I need that thing like that? It is not a good piece of my life. Matter of fact, it doesn't even belong in relational priority, but we take it. So it's a little bitty tip right there, and we're putting it at the bottom, and your life is, no wonder you feel out of order. We are out of whack. Jesus is looking and saying, you're out of order. Live differently. That is not what I called for you in this world. Invest in the things that I've said are important. It's supposed to look like this. My financial capital as a child of God, as one saved by grace, is to be invested in extending the kingdom of God. It's to be invested in my relationship with Christ. It's to be invested in my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's to be invested in reaching out with His love beyond the doors of this church building. My intellectual and physical capital, they are to be invested in making relationships to extend the kingdom of God. All of these things are meant to go in that direction, to have them in this order, to live in that way. And if you're anything like me, you are looking at yourself and going, I need an out-of-order sign. Right? Is that true? Are you out of order? If someone were to follow you around for a couple of weeks and just observe you at the end of this, would they say your life looks like that? They wouldn't say that about me. I'm out of order. Jesus is saying, John David, you are out of order. 
you are caught up in I and me, and I have called you to be caught up in he and we. I am caught up in I and me. I should be caught up in he, Jesus Christ, and all he has done for me, and he makes me part of the family of God, the we. And we together go out and share this good news. But I have got good, good news for you. Jesus came, and he did this. Jesus Christ emptied himself of everything for you and me because we don't. Did Jesus Christ empty himself of his financial capital, of everything he had? Absolutely. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, he was naked for us, stripped of everything that he had in the world. They went down to his clothing and ripped it off of him. And as he's on that cross, not with just a little bit on here, he had nothing on. And they were over there gambling over his clothes. And why did he do that? Because you and I focus on the financial in our life and we put it first. So Jesus gave it all up for us to die for that, for you and for me. Did he give up his intellectual capital? Absolutely. His brain stopped working. He died in that moment for us, for you and for me, because we put our minds to things that God doesn't want for us in this world. Did he give up his physical capital? Absolutely. In Isaiah, he said it gave his back to them so that they could beat him with it. It says they ripped his beard out by hand. He was beaten. He was hurt. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they nailed him to a cross for you and for me and he gave up his physical capital for us because we invest our physical capital in a lot of things that he doesn't want for us. And he died for it on that cross because we aren't living the life that we're called to live because we are out of order. Did he give up his relational capital? Yes, he gave up everything. He looked at his own mom realizing he's about to die and he says to John, that's your son now. To John, that's your mom because I'm losing you now. Not just that, he looks at God his father and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He gave that up because God the father looked at all your sin and and all my sin, all upon Jesus at the same time, and he turned his back on him. And there Christ died for you and for me. He even gave up his spiritual capital there. He gave up everything for us because we are so out of order, because we cannot save ourselves. And then he rose. He rose from the grave, and he took it all. He took it all, and now he invests it in us. He says, I have forgiven you. I died for it. I died for the fact that you live out of order. I died for the way that you lived your life again and again, and now I call you to live differently. I have invested everything in you, and you are my child, and I will not let you go. So now because of that gift, because what is ahead of you is perfection, because what ahead of you is the resurrection, because of what Christ has done, while you're in this world, live for him. Let's get into order. Let's live for the God who gave up everything for us. Let's stop being out of order. Let's stop making money our most important thing. Let's stop making our bodies our most important thing. Let's stop making all these things the most important things and let's invest in what God wants us to invest in. Him. 
each other. All these things he's given us are used to extend his kingdom, to care about him. Does that mean I quit my job? Probably not. It means you look at it differently. It means you look at why you're being paid and what you do with that money differently. How do you invest that money? What do you invest it in? Invest it in your church. Invest it in missionaries who are going out to share the good news. Invest it in your neighbor who needs help. Invest it in that person on the street corner. Invest it in what God would call you to invest it in. And invest your intellectual, your physical capital in forming relationships. Why? So that you can let those people know about your God. Why? Because we need each other. Why? Because we aren't alone. It's not about I and me. It's about what He has done. And now we are the family of God sent by Him to go out and share this good news. Let's get in order. And getting in order starts at the cross. It starts at remembering that you are a baptized child of God, that Satan cannot take this from you, that God has said, you are mine and I will not let you go. Now live for me. You hear how incredible that is? Every other religion in the world, this false God says, live for me and then maybe I'll let you be my child. God says, I make you my child Now live for me. You are mine. I love you. And I will not let you go. Amen? So we start with confession. We start with confessing our sins that we have been out of order. And we cannot put ourselves in order. Only God can. And Jesus Christ has done it. And he is ready to work in and through you. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this new identity that we hold. Children of the living God because your son came and gave up everything for us. He gave up all his capital for us. He gave his financial. He gave his physical, his intellectual, even his relationships and his relationship with you. He gave it all up to save us from our sin. To save us from the fact that we have been out of order. And Lord, change us. Make us who you intend for us to be. Forgive us, Lord, for being out of order. Forgive me, Lord, for being an I and me person. And change us. If this is your confession, then say, please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me. Lord, change us, we pray. In Jesus' name. This song coming up was written by Marlene Lamb, Matthew Preston, myself, and Kip Fox at a songwriting retreat in California just a few months ago. We were given three hours to write a song about creation. Here's how it sounded the first time we played it for the rest of the songwriters just a few hours after it was written.